The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. When we think of breast surgery, what first comes to mind is implants and women having surgery for aesthetic reasons. However, what is important to think about is the many women out there who have had breast reconstruction due to needing to remove a breast, to treat or prevent breast cancer, as well as to restore the shape of the breast after a mastectomy. For whatever reason a woman seeks or requires breast surgery, it is absolutely vital that they need to be fully informed to be able to make the best decision for them and their body. So today we are speaking with Dr Mark Lee, who is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon at St John of God Hospital Subiaco, to talk all about breast reconstruction. So to start off, can you just explain the difference between cosmetic and plastic surgery? That's a, a good question, Danae. The term plastic surgery is, is an has an interesting derivation. It, it comes from the Greek word plastikos, which means to shape and to mould. And it's got nothing to do with plastics or silicon boobs or anything like that, but it, it comes from shaping and moulding. And so plastic surgery really emerged as a specialty with reconstruction of, of injured soldiers during World War One. That's probably when uh, the, the actual specialty of plastic surgery came. And mm. these soldiers were badly injured in the face. They were burnt in, in fires. And a lot of the techniques that were used to reconstruct these terribly injured soldiers were then used by the surgeons that gained experience during the wars um, to reconstruct form and function in almost every area of the body. And that then led to when you can reconstruct a nose and rebuild it from 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 scratch, um, then somebody who wants perhaps a better looking nose would go to the same surgeon. And so cosmetic surgery really grew out of plastic surgery, and it is a, a, a one part of plastic surgery and reconstructive plastic surgery. And there's there's often no set line between mm. what is a cosmetic procedure and what is what is a a reconstructive um, procedure um, some what somebody would consider a cosmetic operation somebody else might consider you know that that person is has an unfortunate uh, congenital problem that that needs to be fixed so cosmetic and the problem is cos anyone in in anyone with a medical degree in Australia or even a dental degree can call themselves a cosmetic surgeon but only a um, specialist plastic surgeon um, can use that title, mm. um, and plastic surgery is a recognised specialty in uh, by the Australian Medical Council. Um, cosmetic surgery is a, a fairly general term um, that is used by, a, a, as I said, you know anybody with a medical degree, mm. GPs, dentists, um, oral surgeons, ENT surgeons, ophthalmologists, will all sometimes call themselves cosmetic surgeons. Yeah. What are the varying reasons why women are having breast reconstruction? So the, the vast majority that I would do would be breast cancer related. And as you are probably aware, breast cancer is incredibly common in our society. Around one in eight women will have breast cancer um, in their life. Nowadays, we're also seeing 
a lot of genetic testing. And so young women who've had um, a mother or an aunt or cousins or sisters who've had breast cancer and some some girls will have had all of those mm. um, are now able to get genetically tested and if they are um, have some of the more... Um, like the Angelina Jolly situation. Sure, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So high-risk genetic um, um, patients are having now... Um, the option option of having preventative mastectomies and and immediate reconstruction. So that's another big mm. part of my practice. A little more rarely, we will see women who are essentially um, have some congenital defect. Um, this particular defect or a particular syndrome called Pollen syndrome, where they may be uh, um, without a breast on one side, and so you know we would perform the same sorts of techniques that we use for a cancer reconstruction to give that woman a breast. And then again, even more rarely, acquired traumatic problems with mm. um, breasts such as, you know, a paediatric burn injury that creates, you know, significant scarring and a breast never forms, acquired trauma. Um, and, and increasingly I'm seeing a few very, very botched sort of cosmetic surgeries that have you know, perhaps been done in Thailand or something and terrible infections mm. and these women um, can end up requiring a lot of the techniques that we use for breast cancer reconstruction just to get a relatively normal-looking breast, let alone yeah. an enhanced breast. Yes. And what are the different types of breast reconstructions? Because I was actually reading on your website and there seems to be so many. Well, yes. The, I would, Look, I would broadly classify breast reconstruction into into two main groups. One is using your own body parts, so your own tissue to create a breast, and that's what we call autologous breast reconstruction. Um, the second type is using some form of artificial implant-based reconstruction. Now, I say implant-based because usually it's not just putting an implant under the skin. Mm. There's usually involves a lot of other soft tissue manipulation as well. And and sometimes it's a combination of both. So it's sometimes a combination of using maybe a flap uh, of, of tissue to create some soft tissue coverage plus an implant if somebody doesn't have enough tissue to make their own breast. So with, with the autologous breast, so rebuilding a breast entirely using someone's own tissues, the advantage of that is it's vascularized so it's it's somebody's own tissue it's if you if it all heals and goes well then they, it's going to age with them it's going to i guess it'll sag along with the other yeah, side so it and, looks and, and feels yeah, more can, like a and, normal and also behave like a normal breast yeah. um, as as people get older if you cut it it'll bleed if you if it gets an infection you can treat it with antibiotics um, and often it's a better th- form of reconstruction if someone needs something like radiation, which can be very damaging to an implant-based reconstruction. So then how would you choose then? Well, I was just gonna yeah. just gonna finish on the implant-based reconstruction. Yeah. So using so that with using somebody's own tissue, so an autologous reconstruction, one of the most common ones we use is called a Diep flap or a, a tram flap. And that's where we can take the lower abdominal tissue. So mm. Uh, a lips of tissue from the tummy, mm. which is almost the same operation we do when we're doing a cosmetic tummy tuck. But instead of throwing that skin and fat away, 
if we carefully might um, dissect out the blood vessels um, that come through the muscles, then we can keep um, we can then transplant that skin um, fat and maybe a little bit of muscle up to the chest and re microsurgically attach it to some of the blood vessels just behind one of the ribs, and then that can create a breast that can look and feel extremely natural. That is probably the most common autologous one that I would use. There I was are about to other, say, I thought that would other, be quite popular. Well, there are other um, donor sites that we can use, such as the back and such as, you know, the, the thighs, the buttocks. Um, but a lot of those are a little bit more difficult and maybe the blood vessels aren't quite as long. And so they're not as popular, but they can be used. But these autologous operations are often quite long. They can take many hours to do. They involve microsurgery. Um, microsurgery is not easy. And if any, if any of those little blood vessels clot off, then the entire flap can be lost. And so it can be a little bit tricky, but still a very, very good option in some people. The implant-based reconstructions are often um, good when you don't have enough of tissue, soft tissue or skin and fat from somebody's tummy, for example. And in my practice, I tend to use them a lot more when I'm doing both breasts. And and we mentioned before the prophylactic or preventative mastectomies um, done in young girls with who found themselves with these risky high-risk genes. Mm. Often these girls haven't had kids and haven't got a excess tummy and mm. they could be very fit and slim and so we don't have the option of taking you know body parts and um mm. so so then in those sorts of cases implant-based reconstructions are, are often necessary essentially in in my in my practice i i guess often if i'm just doing one side and if someone has enough soft tissue my preference would be to use their own body parts and not bring an implant into the surgery if i can avoid it implants by and large, are very safe, but they're not without their problems, and they can have you can have problems with implants, even you know ten or twenty years down the track. Whereas if you can do the DEP flap and microsurgery, the microsurgery all goes well and they heal up well, then you, that patient, that that woman, will have a breast for the rest of her life that will never have any more problems. Unlikely to have any more problems, but sometimes we just don't have enough, and so. Um, it's, it can be it can be difficult um, in someone who perhaps doesn't want to have an implant um, if they just don't have enough soft tissues. You may be you know having to um, say, to well, implant. look, this is this is what we need. The implant-based reconstructions, I, I mentioned before, it's often not it, you know very rarely do we just put an implant under the skin, and the reason is that the silicon implants or the saline implants they will have you know edges and wrinkles and ripples and if you're just sticking it under the skin in somebody who's had their breasts removed, then you will see all of those wrinkles and ripples and it really does look like an implant under the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will try and get some form of soft tissue coverage usually. So we'll often lift up the muscle on the chest wall, maybe bring some of the muscle from the back, and that can soften the outlines, uh, improve the appearance, and, and there are other, often other little techniques we can use like grafting fat, making nipples, all those sorts of things. Mm. Initially, often we will, we will use a temporary implant that we can adjust the size in, which is called a tissue expander, um, and that can also be a very useful technique for someone who's had a previous 
full mastectomy and perhaps hasn't had any surgery initially mm. and come maybe come to see me two or three years after their mastectomy and they're starting with nothing. So we often want to grow the skin on the chest walls, expand it out with using a tissue expander, which is this adjustable implant, and then we can take that out a few months later and put a permanent implant in. In terms of recovery time then? It, as a rule, if you're with the larger autologous flap type reconstructions, it's a longer recovery time. Mm. So um, for instance, the DEP flap, which is taking the tummy, microsurgically transplanting it up, that patient will be in hospital for at least a week and it's a good six weeks of recovery. A lot of the more, I guess, technically simpler operations like the implants and tissue expander type operations are probably out of hospital a little sooner, recovering a little sooner than that. Yeah. Um, so, so it's very dependent on the on the type of breast reconstruction. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, um, that's fair enough. And and look, one one thing we haven't really touched on is doing the operation immediately mm. or as a delayed procedure. Yeah, and, and I wondered that. You sort of mentioned about how we choose, and this is these are probably thirty years ago. Almost all reconstruction, all breast reconstructions were done as delayed reconstructions. So. Mm. The feeling at the time from the from the from the breast cancer surgeons was, you know, um, these patients, you know, the cancer was. So they'd have know, their chemo. Yeah. So they would have their, their mastectomy, and they were often pretty aggressive mastectomies in those days. And they would have the the full mastectomy. They would be closed up with a straight line across the chest, um, you know, and quite a quite a disfiguring mm. um, result for them, and a lot of. Women, perhaps in those days, were told they, you know, that you're lucky to do. be alive, and that's Gosh. all you get, and you get to put something in your bra, and yeah. and then plastic surgeons started doing a lot of reconstruction, and and it was all usually delayed, so it would be maybe a year or two after the surgery, and so the techniques like expansion, the tissue expansion, or bringing the tummy um, fat, but you would often have to replace quite a bit of skin in in those sorts of situations. A trend then began of looking at whether it was safe to do immediate reconstruction and mm -hmm. it took a long time for that to be, I guess, accepted as a safe procedure and it's, there have been many, many you know, studies that have shown that that's very, a very safe thing to do in the majority of cases. And so the advantage of someone having an immediate reconstruction is they go to sleep with two breasts and they will wake up with two breasts. Mm. Even if it's a, a tissue expansion, expander and it's a little bit deflated, mm. they will still have something there, which is an incredibly psychologically really important. Absolutely. It's yeah. incredibly confronting to wake up of when course. it's all gone and yeah. have nothing there, even if you know someone can reconstruct it in two years' time. So the fact that a patient with breast cancer can go to sleep the breasts are removed and they wake up and they can still see that there's something there when they yeah. wake up is is a very, very, I think, important. And, and if we can do it and we can do it safely and we're not impacting on the cancer, then that's, that's a fabulous thing to be able to do. Of course. The other important aspect to an immediate reconstruction is from an oncologic point of view, the breast cancer surgeon does not need to take all of the skin envelope of the breast if they're doing a mastectomy. From, from a safety point of view, it's really just the glandular area, the area perhaps 
that's close to the cancer. So if there is a bit of skin close to the cancer, that needs to be taken. But the vast majority of the skin envelope can actually be safely left behind, which makes my life as a reconstructive surgeon much easier because that skin is the right colour, the right mm. texture, it's the right shape if we're, if we're just taking the nipple on, you know. Mm. So the results from an immediate reconstruction can often be quite, quite superior good. to results of a delayed reconstruction. So there, there are a few good reasons to be able to offer someone an immediate reconstruction. But as I say to all my patients, the number one absolute most important priority is the cancer treatment. And anything that could delay the cancer treatment or impact on the cancer treatment negatively um, needs to be, you know, taken into consideration. And, and you know, all any surgery can have complications and there are certainly the possibility of complications with some of these, you know, in, quite technical flaps in terms of blood supply and implants if there's infection and those sorts of things. And I often say to my patients, if if anything looks like delaying you having chemotherapy or radiation or anything that's really important for your cancer treatment, then sometimes we're better to just wait, back out of the reconstruction, even remove what's there, get you healed, get you having your, your, your cancer treatment, and then we can come back in a year's time and start from scratch yeah. again. That's always the most important. Survival thing. comes first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's fantastic. And as I said before, you know, there's some really good reasons to be able to offer an immediate reconstruction, but it's not the only thing we can do. We can do these delayed reconstructions and we, you know, we have been doing that for, you know, 50, 60 years, you know, mm. so or even 100 years really. And and the other thing that I think is important to, to remember also is a lot of I certainly see a lot of patients who are totally shell-shocked. You know, mm. a week before they see me, they've had a what they thought was a routine mammogram. They've seen a shadow. They've Next day they're in having a biopsy. They've yeah, the, Three days it. later they're in seeing a breast cancer surgeon. You know, three days after that they're in seeing the reconstructive surgeon. Their surgery's been planned for a week. Like, and, and they really, they are... Almost, you can see in there. They're not even listening to what you're saying. They they cannot think oh, I outside of the fact. Comprehend yeah. what it would be like. And yeah. and you know, I I can do my best to try and see. You know, get a lot of the information across to people. But sometimes it's just you know, it's not something that everybody is able to to take in. And mm. if somebody's really not in the right headspace to have the reconstruction, then again, you can. Just do the mastectomy and come back six months later or yeah. whatever and do do the reconstruction then. There's a lot of press talking about breast implants and this particular implant linking to cancer. Is it, you know, can we ask you what some clarity around sure. these media yeah. so reports? Look, it's, um, it's a good question and only yesterday one of the biggest implant manufacturers in the world, which is Allergan, basically recalled all of their textured implants. So breast implants come in two different surfaces. One is a smooth surface, which just feels like um, a plastic bottle or a bit of Glad wrap. And the other is textured, which basically means the surface has been broken up to feel a little bit like sandpaper. And the reason that textured implants were brought in probably 20, 25 years ago was to try and reduce the 
scar contracture around implants, which is called capsular contracture, which is an inherent risk in anyone having breast implants, whether they're having it for reconstruction or for cosmetic reasons. And these, the idea, the, the thought was to break up the, the surface so that any of the scar that forms around every implant, the collagen fibres, if they were a little bit broken up, then they would be perhaps less likely to form a linear contracture and tighten up around the implant. Mm. Now, probably 20, 30 years later, we kind of have different concepts of why a capsule contracture happens and it was probably a reasonably good idea at the time. But one of the issues was it probably created a lot more surface area for bacteria to hide in. Mm. And this is the... This is probably the most um, accepted theory really as to why these rare lymphomas have occurred and it's probably related to low-grade bacterial infection that hides in the, in the little gaps in these... In the texture. Yeah, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the surface on these textured implants. And it's interesting that the, com- that the, the brands or the, the implants that have the most severe texturing, so the really, the really mm. coarse sandpaper, seem to have the higher incidence of this ALCL, which stands for anaplastic large cell lymphoma. And to, to put it in perspective, it is, it is still an extremely rare occurrence, but there have been around 500 cases worldwide and about 24 deaths. And these have only really happened probably in the last five or six years. And what we don't know is whether we're just at the sort of the start of mm. something that may get more. From a patient's point of view and somebody considering breast reconstruction, the smooth implants have zero risk. There have, to my knowledge, no cases of ALCL in smooth implants. And so there is a very good alternative. So we can still use implants. Mm. We can still use breast implants. At this stage, none of the therapeutic regulators, such as the US FDA, the Canadian and the French um, equivalents, or the Australian TGA, none of these groups have recommended removal of these implants at this stage. Okay. Um, they are recommending monitoring and, and getting in touch with your surgeon, making sure you you know what type of implant you've got, what your risk is. Um, Can women find out? Sure. And look, I, my, I would encourage any women who've had maybe a breast reconstruction, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, to, to just touch base again with their reconstructive surgeon, their plastic surgeon. And, and equally, if you've had, you know, if anyone's had breast implants for cosmetic reasons, then it's probably a good time to touch base. If your surgeon's um, retired or as I had a, a call yesterday from a, a patient whose surgeon died a, a, f- a couple of years ago or a year ago, then, you know, find a new a new plastic surgeon that's still practising and, and, you know, make an appointment and go and see them. Mm. These lymphomas are very often quite dramatic in their presentation and the usual presentation is a very big swollen breast, so full of fluid. So basically they present as a late seroma, which means fluid around the implant. So if you've had breast implants in for eight or ten years that uh, have been behaving themselves and then suddenly you get new symptoms such as pain or swelling, then that's that's an important sign to go and 
um, see a plastic surgeon. It doesn't mean you've got ALC. It's still extremely Just rare. And probably only a very small amount of women w- who have seromas will have ALCL. But we would we would get an ultrasound, and if there was fluid there, we would aspirate the fluid, and we'd send the cells in the fluid to be tested for this extremely rare cancer. Okay. The other thing to note about the ALCL is that the as far as even though there have been some deaths, it's actually a very, very treatable cancer and usually just involves removing implants, taking all the scar tissue out and then some uh, chemotherapy. So once you've had implants, do you ever need them changed? So probably five, ten years ago my answer was often, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, mm. um, you know, keep an eye on things. But really they are engineered to stay in, you know, they can they can have a very long life. But they are a man-made object and they can rupture. Um, the rupture rate for the mentor implants that I use is only around 3% over 10 years. Um, so it's not high. But my answer now to all my patients is you need to touch base with your surgeon probably about every five to 10 years just to make sure that everything's um, okay. I would recommend an ultrasound. And, and particularly with the breast cancer reconstructions, I think... Particularly, and if somebody's had bilateral mastectomies, you know, they, they don't need mammograms anymore, but an ultrasound to look at implants will also perhaps have another little look around the, the soft tissues to make sure there's healthy. nothing there. Yeah. So I think it's a good idea. And, and the reason I say I've changed in that is that what we knew 10 years ago, um, you know, now we know about ALCL, which we didn't know about 10 years ago. And, and you know, surgeons who in very good faith, thought that those implants made by Allegan were the Rolls-Royce and they thought they were doing the very, you know, providing the very best type of implant for their patients, now know that there's a potential problem, although it's rare, um, and they are not putting those sorts of implants in anymore. And so if a patient comes back to see them and goes, well, you know, my implants have been in 10 years, you might be having a discussion about changing them over a little bit sooner than otherwise. Yeah. But the, if if the implant's intact, if the soft tissues are fine, if, if you're happy with your implants, you don't need to change it over. But I think monitoring is the most important thing. So seeing your surgeon reasonably regularly, and I don't think more often than five years is necessary, unless perhaps you've got a more risky implant with the ALCL. Being aware of those symptoms that I talked about, such as you know changes in pain and swelling of the breast, um, so don't but, ignore them. No, so, don't ignore them. Get, yeah. Just get to see see your surgeon. And I think an ultrasound is a very good screening test for someone who's got implants. The interesting thing about implant rupture, though, is that it can be silent. You know, it's oh, not just really? somebody can, um, you know, have a seatbelt injury in a car accident or mm. as one of my patients, their little three-year-old toddler, you know, jumped on her, you know, boob oh. from a very big height, um, you know, they, and, you know, the, the breast is misshapen and sore and they get an ultrasound and they've got a ruptured implant. But I certainly have seen people who've so had So what a, did you have to do for that? Oh, just change the implants over. Oh. So, you know, yeah. but, but I've certainly seen people who've had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever, perfectly lovely, soft breasts with mm. no pain, no swelling, no hardness, and for whatever reason, a routine ultrasound has shown a bit of changes within the implant and it turned out to be a silent rupture. Mm. So the question is, you know, does that need to be changed? But I think we would all recommend that a ruptured implant 
is probably best changed. I would expect that, you know, if it was asymptomatic, it would probably become symptomatic and harder and firmer and more scar tissue and and then um, silicon um, leaking into the soft tissues over mm. time. The, the, the Most of the implants these days, though, have a very what we call cohesive gel. So it's like a... Um, it's more like a set jelly than a than a liquid, mm-hmm. um, and so even if you do have a rupture, mm. it's it not tends to be maintain its shape and tends to maintain its. It, it so it doesn't maintain, leak out yeah. into your. So it tends to stay within that scar capsule. Okay. So um, it's it's usually something that's not too difficult to remove and remove. All traces, you know, most of the traces of the silicon. So, just to end, what are some three important points that women should know about breast reconstruction? Well, firstly, I've said before, but firstly, I think it's important to know that the cancer is always the most important mm. um, aspect. So, if, if if we're doing it for breast cancer, so cancer treatment trumps everything, and and if somebody needs to have radiation, well, you've got to work around that as a surgeon. Um, if somebody needs um, chemotherapy, then, you know, that might alter the timeline of reconstruction. Um, but absolutely the number one priority, not only for the breast cancer surgeon, but also as a, as a reconstructive surgeon, that's my priority as yes. well, you know. Um, no good in having a nice, beautiful set of boobs if you're not going to be around to enjoy them, or, yeah. you know. The second thing is that immediate breast reconstruction is largely proven to be pretty safe. And so it should be something that I think should be offered to every woman with breast cancer. Now, obviously, there are times when a cancer may be particularly nasty and a, and a cancer surgeon may just want to get on and do it, you know. But really, in this day and age, there are enough plastic surgeons around, there's enough, you know, resources, whether you're in the private system or the public system, that I, I believe that every every woman should be offered that option, even if they're in their sixties and seventies. Or mm. you know, I don't think age is is necessarily a now. Somebody at that age may decide may have different priorities, but I think even there are much simpler options in terms of the types of reconstruction we do. I mentioned we mentioned before just mm. putting an implant under the skin. Now that may just be enough for some more elderly woman to feel less self-conscious if yeah. she's down at, you know, Beatty Park having her, you having know... Having a swim, yeah. ...weekly water aerobics or something yeah. rather than messing around with, you know, bathers with prosthesis. So, yes. I, I, you know, there are more simple reconstructions we can do to, and tailor it to a person's needs. So yeah. I think, you know, I, th- I believe that reconstruction, immediate reconstruction is is largely safe and I think it has a lot of benefits yes. and so should be offered to everybody. And if it's not, then you have every right to, to ask. ask your cancer surgeon. And, um, you know, and one, of the, one of the interesting things, that, you know, in, if you look at reconstruction rates in different parts of the world, you know, and Australia is actually not great when it comes to, um, you know, our rates of breast cancer reconstruction for our cancer rates you know, as compared to a lot of other first world nations, and interestingly, in the in the United States, it's ma- it's a ma- it's been an act of Congress that all women need to be offered this, and that no insurance companies can not pay for 
breast reconstruction. Mm. So it's quite important. And I think one of the problems we have in, in, in Australia, though, is, is particularly Western Australia, is some of the distances that, you know, patients have to travel. Yes, and, all the regional you know, we might, areas. We might, I, I operate down in, in Albany as part of my um, practice and, um, you know, for, for a long time there's, you know, there haven't necessarily been mm. reconstructive cancer services down there. Um, and so it's nice to be able to provide yes. some of that down there. And the third one... I think it's also important to know that reconstruction is usually never just one operation, okay? Usually it's one big operation and there may be a series of one or two little operations to sort of finesse and tweak the result. And the reason is not everything is predictable, reliable, and often the initial operation is to get rid of the, you know, the cancer and do the mastectomy and create the mound, but then there are other smaller parts of a breast reconstruction that we don't necessarily want to do all at the one at the one operation, um, such as make nipples. I was Sometimes about to say, we, what, what do you yeah. mean by that? But it's the that you might come back and you'll have your nipples yeah, done another and so, time. Or, and or changing a tissue expander over for a permanent implant, adjusting the volume, mm. adjusting scars. And, and often these days we often do a little bit of fat grafting just in small areas of dents and things. So I think it's important, I, I certainly tell my patients, is never just one operation. It's, and at least they, it's usually, know, they might know that from the yeah, start. Exactly. Than, and, yeah, exactly. And usually it's, you know, it's a, it's a planned multi-stage procedure, which means, you know, we didn't, we're not doing a second operation because we botched the first one. We plan to do a second operation where we're going to. And would you might do that things. over a, a number of years? Sure. Or, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Um, depending on again cancer um, mm. treatments. You know, if someone's having radiation, and we often will wait. You know, four to six months after the completion of the radiation to operate on the patient again because um, radiation really affects wound healing, affects scarring, affects um, infection rates. So. You know, that can be quite important from that point of view as well. So going into it, I think it's it's important that at least that I tell my patients that, you know, you're going to have one big operation where you're going to be in hospital for a week and then, you know, but there will probably always be another little operation or, you know, one or two ones to, uh, to little operations to finesse the result, you know, make a nipple, improve symmetry. And, you know, often one of the other things, if someone's just had one side and, and we've made a, a not given them a nice volume, but we perhaps don't have the same, you know, perhaps a slightly more saggy breast on the other side, then, you know, we might do a breast lift on that side or a, a breast reduction to match the reconstructed side. Yeah. So there's often a lot of little small procedures that we can do to finesse the result. And I think that's quite important to do. Yeah. So it's time. Time yeah. takes time. It, it does, but usually those smaller operations, you know, you, usually a patient's back working, and you know, it's it when the initial operation was sort of a big one where they were in hospital for a week and and you know recovering for four to six weeks. Um, the smaller ones, you know, they come in might be day surgery, it might just be an overnight stay, and they're back at work a few days later. So. You know, not slowing them down too much. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it's a journey and it's a discussion and having a good relationship with your plastic surgeon is really important. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 also uh, the other thing I would say, if I'm allowed a fourth, yeah. is, I, you know, all, pa all plastic surgeons will have their own likes and dislikes and, and procedures that they prefer and, and things that in their hands that they think 
you know, will give them the best result or their patients the best results. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you go to somebody else and they say, it, you know, something a little bit, they would recommend something different. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It's just often, you know, we and are. It doesn't as, mean that one's better than the yeah, other. Yeah, and look, yeah. as plastic surgeons, I like to think we we are we are creative. You know, we 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 have that aspect. It's not just cookbook medicine. It's 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 um you know we have our set of skills and and I think. Um, I like to think that we we apply them, you know, in our own way, and and in sometimes it can be quite a unique way, and that doesn't necessarily mean if somebody else says something, you know, they would do something that the, the first surgeon was wrong. It just means that in their hands they may find mm. that they get much better results doing that than yeah. something else. No, that's good to know. Mm. So thanks so much for joining us today to really educate us more on breast reconstruction because I've certainly learned a lot more. <laughs> so thank you so much. No, you're very welcome today. A big thank you to Dr Mark Lee for sharing his knowledge. To learn more about Dr Mark Lee and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, Please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.